Um, welcome back to Launch Student News, a show that gives students a behind-the-scenes peek at the career paths of professional journalists and the stories they tell. I'm Victoria Fong, and today's guest is A.C. Shilton, columnist for Outside Magazine and a freelance investigative journalist with bylines in the New York Times, Men's Health, and The Guardian. She appeared in the Netflix docuseries, The Innocent Man. Hi, A.C. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So you mentioned in a muckrack interview that you considered, you started considering journalism seriously in your 20s. Was there a specific turning point? Yes. Um, I originally, so I have a kind of non-traditional path into journalism, uh, which is that like, you know, I studied sociology in college and then got a job in marketing. Um, and that job kind of moved into another job in marketing in our newspaper. And um, I was sitting in this newspaper kind of working on the like marketing side of things and realizing like, wait, I'm in the wrong department of this newspaper. Like I have no passion for marketing at all. Um, and I don't care if people buy things. I'm like much more interested in the stories that are being produced, you know, next door. So um, I basically, you know, asked some reporters or in some editors if I could try doing a little bit of freelancing they did like you wouldn't have to pay me because I'm already employed here you know let me try a thing or two you know let me write a blog for the paper um and got into it that way um and it's it, you know it's just one of those things where like if I look back on it it's now like very clear to me that like this is obviously what I was meant to do. I love listening to people. I love listening to stories. I love asking questions. I think like the world is full of fascinating things that I want to write about. Um, and I love writing. Uh, but I just never put that together as, you know, a kid or a teen. Um, we had a student newspaper in high school. I just never was involved with it. I was really busy with sports and other things. And I just, you know, I just kind of it didn't put it all together until I, I was in my 20s and seeing that newspaper building and realizing, wow, wait, I'm, you know, really doing the wrong thing. So here I am. Um, and I am so grateful that I found this career path uh, and hope I can do it, you know, for the rest of my career. Yeah, absolutely. So like you mentioned, you've had a little bit like unconventional experience like getting into journalism. Do you ever still use your like sociology degree or your marketing experience in freelancing? all the time for sociology marketing not so much um but i use my sociology degree all the time and i like would absolutely urge uh students who are like not sure if like journalism is right for them or if they go to a school that doesn't have a journalism program my school did not have a journalism program um, i would urge you to look at sociology because it's really important as a journalist to be able to think about why society is functioning this way um, and sociology really talks about power. It's all about, you know, why is power happening here? Who has the power? Who wants the power? Like, what's happening? And that's journalism, right? It's figuring out, like, why is this person, you know, able to do this thing and get away with it? And so it's all about power. Um, and so um, for me, you know, that has been such a useful degree. The other thing is that, you know, we spend a lot of time as sociologists looking at both qualitative um, and quantitative research. So like learning how to interview people, I did my senior research project uh, in college uh, on our local drug court program, which um, I, we were basically trying to figure out the efficacy of this program where prisoners were diverted, you know, from jail, well, I'm sorry, offenders were diverted from jail um, via program, you know, uh, if they were, you know, um, caught with drugs, right? So um, when I was, you know, 19, I was going into our local jail and talking to the people who had um, not gotten through this program successfully. So they ended up in jail. And so I was kind of, you know, doing these interviews with prisoners. 
And that was such a useful experience to like learn how to like go into a jail, sit down and like see the humanity of everybody, which is like such an important skill to being a journalist. Um, and so, yeah, um, I would, uh, you know, and then as well doing quantitative research and being able to look at statistics and numbers and say, you know, here's where the patterns are or here's an outlier. Um, so you would get that as well, I think, in a journalism program, but it's, uh, it's been a great degree for me and I rely on it all the time. So um, after you worked at like the marketing department for a little bit, I think at the Honolulu Advertiser, um, then you like decided you wanted to become a journalist instead. So like, how did you like learn how to freelance and like, what were your like first stories if you still remember them? I do. Um, so I started kind of pinch, pinch hitting for uh, the Honolulu Advertiser had a nightlife um, and enter entertainment website. And originally I was hired to do the marketing for that website. Um, and so I started by kind of pinch hitting uh, with a few articles for that website. And that was, you know, really a good place for somebody without a journalism background to kind of hop in because, you know, it was kind of journalism light, right? You know, like I was writing about, you know, pop concerts and, um, you know, restaurants and things like that. So, you know, it wasn't like the like deep ethics of investigative reporting um, or reporting on, you know, um, race or class or any of these things that are like really require, you know, some finesse. So I started there and really I am here by the grace of a few editors who, you know, thought you know, were willing to take the time to kind of help me through, you know, the ethical quandaries that maybe you don't get if you, you know, like, if you, you know, went through a journalism school, you learn that stuff. If you didn't, you kind of, you know, learn on the fly. And the great thing about this industry is that anytime I've ever had a question about like, what's the ethical way to do this here? I've always had editors who are willing to say, okay, let's talk about it. You know, um, editors want to help you. Editors want you to do a good job. Um, and so it's always okay to say, you know, hey, I'm not sure if like, you know, this source is connected to the story in this way. Is this a problem? Let's talk through it. Um, and so, yeah, you can really, you know, get really, really far just by being willing to kind of ask good questions and take advice. Mm -hmm. So um, would you like recommend your career path, like kind of like going to sociology and like something that can help you as you're a journalist and like skipping journalism school in favor of like hands-on experience? So this is such a tricky question because um, I, I, to some degree, I definitely think that, you know, having my degree or having an economics degree if you're interested in going into economic reporting or like uh, having, you know, even, you know, a degree in political science would be really useful. Uh, biology would be really useful if you want to be a, sci a science journalist. I think, you know, there is a case to be made for going and getting the degree and the kind of writing that you're interested in doing. There's also a case to be made that, you know, journalism school is where a lot of people make connections, right? And so like, you know, I feel like, <laughs> There are always, you know, I don't know, clusters of people who kind of get jobs and like pull their friends in from journalism school to, you know, to those jobs. So there's those connections that get made. Um, whether that is the most important thing, I don't know. Um, and here is what I would say. Do not take on a crap ton of debt to go to one of those top journalism schools, um, you know, because you can get a really good education at a state school, whether that's a journalism program or not. Um, and if you are gonna get a journalism degree, I would highly recommend double majoring in something else that you, you know, are hoping to report on someday so you have that real breadth of knowledge on that subject.
Definitely. You've come a long way um, since your days at the Honolulu Advertiser in your journalism career. Do you remember how you got started writing for publications such as the New York Times, Men's Health, and The Guardian? Yeah, um, it was a really slow process. <laughs> so um, uh, I, uh, so my husband works for the National Park Service. He's a park ranger, and we um, move around the country. Um, and so um, when we moved from Hawaii to Florida, I wanted to get a staff job at the local paper there, and they wouldn't hire me without a journalism degree. This one paper had this this like just rule against it, like you know my resume literally like went into the trash without a, a journalism degree on it, and so I was forced to freelance for them, and that was really hard because I had had a lot of experience at this point. I had I had worked as an editor at a magazine in Honolulu, um, and you know and worked at the paper, so I had felt like oh okay I have a lot of experience you know this should be no problem to get you know low level staff job. I couldn't do it. So I like cried for six months straight every day about like the fact I couldn't get the job I wanted. Um, and then I just started freelancing. So I started freelancing for this little paper. And it's funny because the stories I wrote, I mean, it was like, you know, uh, you know, covering just the stupidest local things, but you know, it paid me, paid my bills and it got me lots of experience. And I always uh, joke about like the most ridiculous story I ever wrote was about the installation of a of a flagpole at a local community center. It's like one of those things that's like, this is not like what I wanted to do, but it's paying my bills and you know, I'm getting experience, so whatever. So I did that and all the while, um, a friend of mine and I had sat down and she had a little bit more experience than me. And she was like, AC, like, where do you want to be writing? Let's like a list of all the places you want to write for and let's think about how we get you there. And so, you know, the top of my list, back then I was really into running. Um, so I, I, the top of my list was Runner's World. So, you know, I, you know, religiously read Runner's World, which is something I would advise all of you guys to do, like read the publications you want to write for. Um, and I knew all of the departments. I knew like what kinds of stuff they ran. I just started pitching. And um, I pitched the same two or three editors multiple times. And about the third or fourth time I pitched each of them, with like very targeted pitches. This is for your department. You know, this is why things are gonna work. Um, mm -hmm. I started getting responses that were like, this is really close, you're getting there. Or, you know, like, yeah, keep pitching us. Um, and that's when I was like, okay, this is how I break in and get, stop writing about the installation of the flagpole and like <laughs> start writing like what I wanna write. Um, and so it took, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 pitches for me to get into Runner's World. Um, and then from there, like my advice is just to like, be really good at your job. Like, I know that's like such stupid advice, but like um, what I have found as a freelancer is that the only way you can make money at this is if editors come back to you and say, you did a good job on that piece. Are you interested in writing this piece? Um, because pitching is such a labor intensive process and you're kind of just stabbing and guessing at what they need that it's, um, it's much easier and better if you can develop a relationship with an editor. So when they have a piece and they need a freelancer, they think of you and come to you. So, um, you know, it's, that's just been slowly one at a time, kind of, you know, making those relationships, pitching a whole bunch of times and um, yeah, slowly building a portfolio and relationships. That's great advice. So like, probably every freelancer's goal is to one day like have a column. How did you land your own column um, at um, Outside Magazine writing about food and drink? This is like such a once in a million story that I honestly like hesitate to tell it because I feel like it's pretty unrealistic and I just like had this like right place, right time thing. Um, so I, um, 
the only place I think I've ever pitched and like gotten my first assignment, like on the first try was outside magazine. Um, and the reason is I had like, just such like a, like the story land in my lap that I just knew was going to be like, just, just gangbusters. Um, so the story itself, this is from a few years ago. Well, it's from a while ago now, but the story was about a study that was done on whether, um, male cyclists were actually more aerodynamic if they shaved their legs, um, which is like goofy and silly and like right up outside magazine's corner. And I happened to like, you know, have like a contact who had worked on the study. So I pitched it to outside and they were like, yes, we want that. Um, and I wrote it up and they had said like, go ahead and like put some voice into it. And so I like made it really voicey. Um, and I just, the next email I got from them was saying, hey, we have a columnist position open. Are you interested? I don't really think that normally happens where like you write one story and like somehow this falls into your lap. Um, I would not bank on that happening. It just happened for me this time. And it's been, it's been a great fit. Um, and I've really, really enjoyed it. And I'm super grateful for all the opportunities that Outside has given me. So yeah. Wow, that's an amazing story. So like, how do you think of your story ideas? That's a great question. Um, mostly, I find things that like, I don't know the answers to and I want to know the answers to, you know. Um, so yeah, I, th I think like a lot of it's just like, you know, me being kind of curious about like, why is that thing happening? Or what is going on here? Um, or why don't I know more about this? Um, so that's a lot of it. And then you know, a lot of it is just like being willing to talk to anybody. So like right after Innocent Man came out, um, I got flooded with emails for, from people asking for help because they were in similar situations to um, the guys in that film. And that was really hard. Um, and it's actually something I still struggle with because I haven't been able to help a lot of them. Um, but, you know, for me, I will sit and talk to you about your story no matter what, like no matter who you are, I will spend an hour on the phone with you listening to your story. I might not be able to help you. Um, and a lot of times I can't help you. Um, and that's hard and whatever. Um, but I will always listen because somewhere in there is a story that somebody else needs to hear, you know, needs to get out into the world. So, you know, um, if you're trying to figure out how to come up with story ideas, you know, just be a really good listener, engage people, ask them to tell you about what's going on in their lives and like, you know, the things that they're interested in. Um, I don't know, there's story ideas everywhere. My problem is always not, I always have too many ideas and not enough time or follow through to pitch them. So if you could ask your next guest about like how to follow through and actually pitch them, because that's the, the pro problem that I have. Um, I'm just so busy with other projects that I have this list of stories I never get to. Yeah, I would also like to know the answer to that question. I have a whole <laughs> notebook of ideas that I just need to write out. <laughs> yeah, me too. So um, you kind of addressed this in earlier question, but like what advice would you give to student journalists, especially those from underrepresented backgrounds looking into looking to break into similar publications like you did? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Um, I have a lot of advice. I don't know how much of it is good, um, but I will try my best. Um, so one piece of advice that has really helped me. Um, well, I have a couple of pieces of advice that have really helped me. One is that, you know, you're, you're like, your job as a journalist is not to make people like you. And I think that's hard. That's something that's been hard for me. Um, I think I've always wanted people to like me. Um, and I, you know, I don't know. Um, but to do really good work, you have to be willing to be, you know, tough. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I think if you want to be, especially if you want to be an investigative journalist, you really have to be okay with people not liking you. So that's why, like, one piece of advice that I come back to a lot that an editor gave me years ago, and I, you know, remind myself of it on the regular. In terms of breaking into publications, especially for underrepresented voices, um, there's something that, uh, okay, so when I lived out in Hawaii, there, there's a, um, there's this saying, um, oh my gosh, wow, I'm blanking on it. Um, oh my gosh, okay. Well, there's a saying in surfing, uh, there's a famous surfer, wow, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name, but um, there's a famous surfer and you'll see bumper stickers all over Hawaii that say, say this surfer would go. Eddie, it's Eddie Akau, Eddie Akau would go. Um, and basically like the uh, like, you know, mantra is like, just go surfing, like just go do the thing you wanna do. Um, and there's a, I have a girlfriend who, or a friend who is uh, also a freelancer. Um, and she and I, when we're having trouble with like feeling like we're qualified to pitch something or we are, so one thing I really struggle with is feeling like I am smart or good enough to do a hard job, um, which is so stupid. Like I know I can do it, you know, but I, I spent a lot of time thinking about like, oh, I would really love to write this story, but I don't know if I can do it. It looks really hard or it looks really complicated. Um, and so, um, and, and also like, you know, I don't know if an editor would think that I can do it. Um, and so she and I have this mantra, which is instead of Eddie would go, which is, which is bro would go. And we like think about like, what would a white man do? And almost always like the white man would like go in for the pitch and just do it. Um, and this is not to be offensive to white men, but like they just do it, you know, like, cause they feel like they're entitled to that pitch. And like, why don't we feel like we're entitled to that pitch? Like you absolutely should just do it. You are, you, you are the person to tell that story. Um, and so I just kind of remind myself when I'm like sitting back on my haunches and not really like sure if I can handle something, bro would go, which means, you know, you should, if he would do it, if he's going to take that opportunity, you should take that opportunity. Yeah, that's great advice. It reminds me of like those little rubber like bracelets. Everyone had like, what would blah, blah, blah do? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. So yeah, bro would go. Um, and remember that like, exactly. If, if you're not going to take that chance, somebody else is. Um, and you oh, yeah. just have that chance just as much. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's something that kind of like helps me when I'm struggling with kind of imposter syndrome stuff. So um, you are the investigative journalist featured in Netflix's docuseries, The Innocent Man. How did you become involved with the case and like Netflix? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. Um, I happen to be kind of working, excuse me, I happen to be working on that case. Um, and I was just kind of, you know, thinking about, oh, this would be a good story. I read the book and I realized that it had not been updated since like it was written in the 90s. And it was just one of those things where I was like, well, what's happened to this case? Um, and, you know, that, like, you know, the, like, general curiosity about the world that makes, you know, people, it makes it so I have so many ideas and no time to pitch. Um, and so I was like, what's happening with that case? And I started kind of doing some research on it and digging into it a little bit. And I was talking to um, a friend of mine and, um, you know, I was telling her, oh, you know, this is case in Oklahoma that I'm kind of obsessed with. And I just, I don't know where I'm going to write about it for. Like, I haven't sold the pitch. I haven't even made the pitch. I just keep thinking about it. And she was like, you know, I happen to know somebody who's making a documentary about that. And I was like, what are you, do, what are you talking about? You know, like, what, what do you mean? And she was like, yeah, like, I, I know these folks that are making this film and they made a researcher. And I was like, really? You know, I was like, because I know these cases really well. Um, and so it just ended up working out really nicely where it was just like a mutual connection. She connected us and um, it was just very fortuitous. Um, it's not like I 
um, you know, like went and pitched Netflix myself because I have way too much imposter syndrome for that. It just like was like one of those like, you know, things that just ended up happening and working out really nicely. And it was, it was great because um, one thing that I <laughs> am frustrated by constantly is that just, you know, it's hard as an investigative journalist, as an independent investigative journalist to fund my work. Um, it's just, you know, I spend months and months on investigations and sometimes they go nowhere. Um, and that's, that's hard and makes me very picky about the cases I take, which makes me sad because there are so many more cases out there that need to be looked at that I just can't, you know, if I can't sell it, I can't take it. Um, and so, so at any rate, this was really, really nice because all of a sudden I had, you know, the research muscle, you know, like Netflix saying, okay, go ahead and work on this for six months. Like we will make sure that something comes out of it and that like you are compensated for your work. So um, that was, that was incredible. Um, and I, uh, you know, I wish that that were the experience I had with other investigative projects, which just can be really, really hard as an independent, you know, journalist. And that's something like, if you're interested in independent, you know, investigative work, you know, um, please feel free to reach out to me and I'll talk to you, you know, about it. Um, it's important. We need more investigative journalists. We need more investigative journalists, not just in New York and LA, you know, and in DC. We need them all over the country. There are very, very few of them, um, you know, besides in these major markets. Um, and I think that's a really big problem. Um, so we, you know, I feel, I believe very strongly in it, but, you know, it is a hard way to make a living. And I'm happy to, you know, anybody who wants to talk about this offline, you know, happy email me and I will for sure, you know, um, talk to you about it. So, like, what was, like, the reporting and, like, filming process like for um, The Innocent Man? It was really fun because um, a lot of, I mean, a lot of my work is so lonely. I work all by myself all of the time, you know, and, like, I have a good network of, you know, other freelancers that I'm in communication with, but, you know, it's not the same as having, you know, other people to work on projects with. So, um, it was really fun because we would fly out and... There was uh, usually two camera people and a sound guy and a producer and a director. And it like felt like being part of a team, which is like way different than like working by yourself, you know, uh, in your little, you know, office in your, yeah. So, so it was really fun. And the other thing was like, it was really fun to bounce ideas off of other people constantly. Um, and this is something I miss about being in a newsroom. I loved being in a newsroom because, you know, you could be like, hey, is this stupid? Is this a bad idea? You know, like the person at the next desk would be like, yeah, it's a bad idea or no, keep going, you know? Um, and so I like, I really missed that. And it was so fun to be able to be like, wait, but what about the life insurance policy? And all of you suddenly like start talking about like all these other things that you should be considering. And, you know, uh, so it was very fun and very collaborative. Um, and, you know, I, we all had different opinions on, you know, who killed Denise Haraway. I don't think we even still agree um, on who killed Denise Haraway. Um, so it was, yeah, it was fun and interesting. I would love to do more work like that. Uh, but it's, you know, um, I don't know, great place, great time, kind of like the outside magazine thing. So there's been a fair amount of luck involved in my career for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so like, what does a typical work day for you look like? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I run a small farm, um, and so my typical workday is pretty different, I think, than a lot of people's typical workdays. So I usually get up really early and do some sort of exercise. So if I don't do it early, it'll never happen. Um, and then I let my chickens out, and I uh, feed chickens, and I have turkeys um, and cows. Um, I make sure all my animals are good and healthy um, and 
Um, and then, you know, I usually try and be at my desk about 8.30. Um, I keep really regular hours. I know some freelancers kind of don't do that, but I'm always at my desk at 8.30. I like, you know, take um, a few minutes for lunch at noon, you know, kind of thing. I just try and like keep my hours really um, steady. So, uh, and then I, you know, do take a few breaks throughout the day to like go check on animals or resell eggs. So I often have to like, you know, pack up a, a couple egg orders and get those out to customers and things like that. Um, and then I, you know, usually work till about six o'clock uh, and then it's all farm chores. So it's things like, you know, mowing my pastures or, you know, cleaning up horse poop or, you know, all of the things that have to get done on this farm. Um, and it's a funny combination of lives, you know, living this kind of, you know, one life that's like very centered in journalism and, you know, all my colleagues are in New York. And then this other life that's like very much in rural Tennessee and I'm, you know, um, doing all kinds of funny farm things. I, but it's, it works for me really well and I, I love it. Yeah, so like over the years you've written a lot of articles from like lifestyle to like investigative pieces. Like what are some of like the, your favorite pieces you've written and why? Oh, that's such a hard question. So there's this funny thing. I don't know if other people have problems with this, but like as soon as I write something, I like forget about it. <laughs> so like, I'm always like, what have I written this year? Um, so, okay, let's see. Um, I really love, Stuff I've written about social science because I'm really interested in social science. Um, and so there's a piece I wrote last year for the New York Times um, about this thing called arrival fallacy, um, which is like this idea that like I will be happy once I, you know, win a Pulitzer, once I get a great job, or once I, you know, have a child or whatever. Um, and so it's this like term in psychology that basically like means that like you know, I don't know, we'll think we'll be happy when we get to this thing, but the problem is it doesn't happen. And that's because like achievement doesn't really make us happy. Um, and I wrote it because I was going through it. So like the, the, you know, documentary came out and I was like, I'm so proud of this piece of work that I did. I worked so hard on it. Like, I'm going to be happy when this comes out. And it came out and like, my life was generally the same, you know? And I was like, wait, I thought I was supposed to be really happy now. And like, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So I really liked working on that piece um, because it let me explore what was going on with my, my own brain. And then also because a ton of people reached out to me afterwards and were like, wow, that really helped me figure out how to navigate the time after, you know, writing my book or the time after, you know, this other thing, big thing happened to me when I felt kind of depressed. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's one of my favorite stories I've written. Um, and then, oh, you know, last year I wrote, um, I wrote a story about, um, a guy who got a heart transplant and he rode his bike across the country to meet the parents of the, their, that, of the guy who gave him the heart. Wow. And um, I, that story was such a challenge because the family of the man who gave up his, or who, who died and gave, you know, this guy his heart was not really interested in working with us. Um, they had had some bad experiences with local media. Um, their son was um, a soldier and they, uh, like, the media had, like, snuck into his funeral against their wishes and, like, they just had this, like, we don't like the media. We're not going to work with you. And... So I spent almost six months building trust with them and just having conversations with them and, you know, being like, you know what, you can tell me you don't want to do this at any time. It's fine. We won't do it, you know, kind of thing. Um, and eventually we got to the point where they said, okay, you know, we, we feel like this is something our son would want. We'll talk to you. And so, you know, we went and reported this story. Um, and it was just a really, really touching story. Um, and especially I think in this moment where like, you know, there were lots of different political ideologies between like the guy who got the heart and the guy who gave the heart and like 
but it doesn't matter. You know, they're all people, they're all happy that, you know, this has worked out and this guy is, you know, this heart is still beating and so on and so forth. Anyways, it just ended up being a really touching story. And at the end of it all, the parents, you know, took me aside and said, you know, thank you so much for restoring our faith in the media. You really like, you were great to work with and we felt like our story was told how it should have been told. And, you know, yeah, it's not your job to make everybody like you. That's really not your job as a journalist, but it is your job to tell the story right and accurately and as it needs to be told. And I felt like I did that. And so I'm proud of that story. So like what stories are you currently working on? Good question. Um, okay. So, well, I've been doing some research for a TV show, um, which is a totally different TV show and not related to me at all. I won't be in it. I'm just doing some background research and that's been fun. Um, and that's another career outlet for people if they feel like they are, you know, not sure, like they want to be somewhere in media. Um, doing research for a TV show is a good spot for a journalist to end up. Um, it's relatively stable, well-paying work. Um, so I've been doing that. Um, but then also, let's see, what else am I working on? Um, there's a new case that I'm interested in. Um, it's a... Uh, it's actually a little bit similar to Innocent Man. Uh, again, it's like, I, I believe the guy who is charged with murder is innocent. Um, and, but this one is interesting because it's ongoing. Um, it's happening now. Um, and so I'm kind of doing some research on that. I've been doing um, a little bit of research on um, a couple of cases of police misconduct. These same themes seem to come up in my research all the time. <laughs> so police misconduct. I've got a, um, a story I'm exploring on that. And then um, I have a big story that's about to come out, maybe someday. Um, it's been in the works for more than a year um, about a uh, corrupt hospital. So that's hopefully going to be coming, like corrupt hospital company. So hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Um, so yeah, just working on a few projects here and there. And then lots of like, um, I cannot pay my bills with investigative work. So I do lots of little things on the side. So, you know, writing about fall patio trends and mattresses and like all the things that like, you know, beer, I write about beer all the time. So all the things that pay, pay my bills and keep, keep my, you know, mortgage yeah, taken care of. Yeah. Um, so I know you discovered like journalism in your twenties, but like, why do you think student journalism matters? Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, it, it matters for, you know, accountability. We need accountability at every single level of, you know, society, right? So um, I was so impressed with uh, the, the students at, uh, uh, what's the college in Maine? Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. There's a college in Swar uh, at Swarthmore last year that did a bunch of investigative reporting um, on, you know, uh, things, misconduct that was happening at their schools. So, I mean, misconduct and power happen and like power mismanagement happen everywhere right and so we need student journalists because we need them to be exposing those things we need them to be writing about the things that matter we need them to be moving the needle on social justice because that's you know a really important thing that i think a lot of kids are interested in engaged with so we need students writing about that um and you know, we need you guys to bring energy and enthusiasm into our industry, which is having a rough time. I mean, I entered journalism in 2008, which is the year the recession hit. Um, and so the industry that I have known is, is, you know, an industry that's been in constant turmoil. Mm -hmm. And I think my entire generation of, of journalists feel very exhausted by it and feel very like, I, you know, we don't know what the future is like, but then we talk to kids like you or students like you and like, it makes me feel a little bit better that like, there's going to be this whole fresh generation coming in that has fresh ideas. Um, and hopefully, you know, is going to, you know, help push us forward. Um, yeah, I think my generation has just kind of 
gotten beaten down by it um, because we all entered and like saw all of our friends get laid off um, and then have having that happen again and again. Um, but I think you guys are going to come into it with all of this new energy and enthusiasm and ideas for how we move this forward, how we make this work. Um, and hopefully like less tolerance for bullshit. I think our generation, but like, I think our generation has taken way too much bullshit from leadership. And I'm really hoping that you guys come in and say, you know what, like that we're not going to do this the same way. We're not going to be as beholden to our like, you know, corporate overlords as my generation has been. So um, I'm excited for you guys for that reason. And also, you know, because yeah, speaking truth to power needs to happen in high schools and middle schools and colleges, you know, all the way across the board. Yeah, you just shared some really good insights, but like, do you have any more additional thoughts about like where you see the future of the journalism industry headed? Yeah, I, I think that the future of journalism is going to be nonprofit collective journalism. So like, I think that, oh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I've been saying this for years and it hasn't happened. So maybe I'm wrong, but I just think that like the model where, you know, um, investors come in and buy up papers and then just gut them doesn't work. Um, I mean, I guess it works for the investors, but it's like not working for anybody else, you know? Um, and it's even questionable whether it's working for the investors. So yeah, I, that's not working. Um, I really think I'm seeing like interesting nonprofit journalism happening like The Counter, which is a, you know, food site, um, uh, food and agriculture site. And like, they're a nonprofit. Um, and so like, it's not their goal to make a profit. It's their goal to, you know, create great stories that need to be told. And I think that's the future of journalism. Um, I'm wary of like anything that takes, you know, too much funding from private, you know, foundations, because I think that can, you know, make it a little bit tricky to navigate, you know, ethical lines. Um, so I think the nonprofit, you know, pay what you can, kind of NPR model. I'm hoping to see more of that replicated. Um, mm -hmm. Who knows? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's my best, that's where I want to see it go. I don't know if it'll actually happen. Yeah, um, thank you so much for your time, AC. As always, if you're a student, teacher, or administrator looking to bring launch student news to your middle or high school, please contact us. If you're a student or professional journalist looking to volunteer, we love your help. For both inquiries, fill out the contact form on launchstudentnews.org. You can find me on Twitter at ByVictoriaPhone and Instagram at VictoriaPhone. AC, where can people find you? Oh, okay. My Twitter is AC Shelton at AC Shelton, and so is my Instagram.